Hello, and welcome to the MIC Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project to product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tastop and bestselling author of Project to Product, How to Survive and Thrive in the Age of Digital Disruption with the Flow Framework. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Peter Moore, a business and technology strategy advisor specializing in helping companies manage for exponential revenue, margin, and net income growth. Over the past 15 years, Peter has worked with CEOs, COOs, and other C-suite executives to help them apply the Four Zones model. This includes companies like Citigroup, Johnson Johnson, and Microsoft. I'm a big fan of zone leadership and the Four Zones model and embed the concepts directly into the Project to Product book. Most recently, Peter and I have been collaborating on how to tailor flow metrics to measuring success in each of the Four Zones. So I'm delighted to have Peter share his learnings of the past five years since Zone to Win was published. With that, let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Peter Moore, and I'm absolutely delighted to have him on the Project to Product podcast because the Zone to Win book and the concepts that Peter has been applying in helping companies transform were really fundamental to me as a technologist and actually leading up to writing Project to Product. So we actually went as far as embedding the zone management model in the first part of Project to Product because of how important I think those concepts are to the way that we structure our approaches to innovation, to digital transformation, and to moving from these legacy ways of operating IT and technology to becoming a technology and a digital a digital company. So Peter, great to have you. If you could just start with an, just a high level overview of what zone management is and some of the, the core ideas behind zone to win Well, Mick, it's great to be with you on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity of sharing these ideas with your listeners. The original idea for Zone to Win came from a book my brother wrote about this subject, and it was basically as a result of some work he did at both Salesforce and Microsoft, helping, in Salesforce's case, Mark Benioff and his leadership team, and and in Microsoft, Satya Nadella and their team, figure out how to find the right balance between funding the current businesses they had and making material enough investments in new businesses that they could scale to either 10% or greater in revenues of the overall revenue of the company. Because what happens in a lot of big companies, as you know, they go into their annual planning and budgeting process, and they wind up primarily funding the businesses they have. And by the time they get around to looking at new opportunities, most of the resources and budgets have been allocated. And that's why it's so hard for them to really make meaningful new investments that scale to representative returns. So the zone, the zone management framework really says, if you look at the way an organization operates, but I think as, as we, we'll, let's take it down to the IT shop and the focus on developing new technologies, maintaining the technologies we have. There are four different ways that that function creates value. And in most companies today, unfortunately still, they look at IT as primarily a cost center support function who only operate and maintain the systems of record that run the primary operating functions of the company, whether it's CRM or finance or HR or whatever. And what zone management says is no, there's a much greater impact that technology is going to have and needs to have. And so the four zones break out this way. The performance zone is in any organization is those components that generate revenue for the company. So it's the people who are making the products who have those kinds of revenue targets and the people who are selling the products. Okay. And in that case, what we want to do is to make sure that everything we're funding today 
is in support of the overall business growth goals of the company. And that if there are org- if there are parts of that, if there are business units, for example, in the performance zone that are not performing well, we can either figure out a way to change that so that they can increase performance or they may have to exit because we need to harvest those resources and budget to fund higher return activities. That's the performance zone. And each one of these zones, by the way, make has its own culture, its own charter, and its own metrics, as we'll get into as we go through the, through the discussion. The productivity zone is where all the cost center support functions reside. So it's IT, finance, legal, HR, all the places that don't have a revenue bogey. Their primary goal is to do two things. They, for the IT shop, they have to create and sustain systems of record that are stable, secure, and compliant with regulations in the industry that they're competing in. At the same time, they want to do everything they can to enhance the businesses in the performance zone. So we have sort of three ways of describing that. The systems of record are sort of the bottom layer. It's like a three-layer cake. The bottom layer that runs all the operating. There the, there the challenge for the IT shop is, how do I optimize the cost of maintaining those? And we use a trap value recovery program to be able to to maximize the way that those things are maintained, both from a resource and budget point of view. The second layer is systems of engagement, which is how the operating companies engage with their customers and also how the company engages with its employees. In many cases, its supply chain partners and other external constituents. And then the third layer of the cake is what we call systems of intelligence, which are those systems using things like machine learning and AI and smart devices where we're learning faster, if we do it well, than the competition about what is changing in our markets. What are our customers' needs changing? What's the competitive situation? Are there regulatory challenges? Are there geopolitical challenges, et cetera? The productivity is on there. And one of the things that we can get into in a minute, I'm working now two groups of CIOs to begin to shift the perception of IT as just a cost center support function to something that we're now calling a profit engine. And we'll talk more about that as we go forward. But it's important because if you don't do that, you're going to minimize the value that IT brings to the organization. And part of the benefit of project to product is you've created through your flow framework and a lot of the other tools that you provide, the ability for the IT shop to actually make that shift. The third zone then is the incubation zone. This is where all the new technologies and new ideas are tested. This is where things like Agile, Lean, and DevOps are are being deployed. It's a much faster cadence. In some cases, you could use waterfall, but for the most part, you don't want to do that. And you know that well from what what you've been talking about. But the other part of it is it also has become a staging area for all IT projects. And the reason this has emerged is in all the organizations I've worked with, and I'm sure you've seen this in the ones you've worked with, they have much more demand than they have capacity to meet that demand. But they had no mechanism. They didn't have a demand management process. They didn't have a project prioritization process to be able to look at at all this demand and be able to sort it out first by zone, but also by their ability to actually execute it. And so we have a lot of tools that we can talk about when we dive into the incubation zone later that shows how you do that. And then the last zone is the transformation zone. And this is really something primarily that isn't driven by the IT group, although sometimes it can be. But in this zone, one of two things is going on. Either the company 
thinks it has a disruptive opportunity the way Salesforce did, where it came in and disrupted all these large established embedded competitors in the enterprise and database management business with a new software as a service and subscription model. So it really disrupted things. And so that's what we call zone offense. The flip side is what Satya Nadella used the framework for, which at Microsoft, when he took over, it was a on-premise, on-desktop business model for all of their software and everything they did. And he said, we're going to shift to cloud first, mobile first. And he took each business. He started with the back office ERP systems. He took it out of the performance zone, into the transformation zone, rebooted it from on-premise, on-desktop to cloud first, mobile first. Then he went after the office and the Azure business, the cloud business. He did the same thing. And just to give you an example of how powerful that was, when he shifted the, the office cloud business, the cloud business, Azure was doing about $5 billion a year. They set a target of $20 billion for a three-year growth target. He exceeded it by nine months. The key to this framework is by segmenting the way you allocate resources and prioritizing the outcomes that you want, you significantly increase and accelerate the growth of an organization as opposed to trying to do too many things at the same time. So that's the overall idea behind it. And it's played out in a number of, uh, of different ways. And, but I think it's something that is very valuable to companies as they, as they look at how they want to manage current businesses versus new business opportunities. I have to say, I've seen both the, the lack of application of this kind of thing and the benefits of, of actually applying it. So in terms of the benefits, my experience was actually quite similar where we were moving you know, in my company from on-prem to SaaS and bringing a new thing to market. We started, with, of course, with horizon management. I'm going to ask you about that. That's what I was doing a decade ago. But I actually found this more structured and I think much more <coughs> modern and digitally oriented for larger scale things, framework, the zone management framework, much more effective. So I found it, which is one of the reasons I want to bring you on, is to share that out and, and to really change what I see as one of the most fundamental problems, which is that while undergoing transformations, most organizations that I work with, most large organizations, lack this kind of structure, right? They're using, yeah. and to go back to one of your points, they're using the exact same metrics for each zone, or they're trying to transform their entire IT portfolio. Whereas to you and I and others who've experienced this, you can't do that. As you said, you have to allocate resources and you have to understand what to change and how to change and how to measure it. And all of a sudden, this becomes much more formulaic and, and much easier. So, and I think what I actually love about the zone management as well is just how prescriptive it is about some of those changes, about where you do the work, how you measure the work, and actually, you know, some of the cultural impl implications of that. But I want to ask you, before we dive into that, the view that I have is where so many of these organizations, you, you mentioned cost centers, going from cost centers to profit engines. Of course, that's the underlying desire for organizations, for boards, for leaderships to transform and to go through these digital transformations. So what I've been experiencing is that basically this product IT, oh, tell me if the same is true or false, IT has actually come out of the productivity zone. So all of a sudden, all these metrics and all these systems that were created for the productivity zone for making those systems of records, for making sure that HR systems runs, the, the reporting systems run, the back office systems runs, all of a sudden, everything's now being layered on to a management structure and operating model that was actually only made for that, for that one zone. Is, right. is, does that reflect your experience? Oh, absolutely. No, it, it really is. And it's, it's, a situ it's what I call IT has to free its future from the pull of its past. Yeah. And it both, both from the way it operates, from the, minds, the legacy mindset about what it can do, and also 
for the longest time, as you well know, IT worked in its silo. Mm -hmm. Today, in order for technology to have the impact it needs across the organization, IT has to collaborate with all the other internal business stakeholders, as well as external stakeholders, to put together the best opportunity for the company to use technology to gain market share or to, and to penetrate new markets or launch new products. And so now, which this now raises another interesting challenge, which I'm guessing you run into as well. It's nice to talk about making these changes and, and transformations, but there's a huge talent gap. And the biggest challenge that I've run into, Mick, is that in an awful lot of companies, when you look at an IT shop, let's, I'll just, I'll make it up, there's 100 people in the IT shop, 70 to 80 of those people only have the relevant skills and capabilities to maintain the systems of record, as opposed to develop and deploy systems of engagement and systems of intelligence. So part of what I think we have to do is to help the leaders, not only in the IT shop, but in the whole organization, recognize that there's a big evolution in skill sets. And what, what many people call soft skills, which I would call core skills now, things like influence and collaboration and empathy and stuff like that are essential because the IT shop now has to work in collaboration with marketing and the business units and customer service and product development, et cetera, in order to get the outcomes that they're all looking for. And so part of that challenge is IT has to be able to earn the trust of the organization to play that role. And therefore, they need to have people within IT who have the ability to engage in those kind of collaborative situations. Yeah, and I think there's something so profound there, right? Because the number of times that, that we hear that, oh, the culture's the problem. I'm always t- just trying to unpack that statement when it comes from, a, from an executive. It's like, what culture? So the more <laughs> recent work with, with zone management that I think is, is critical is the way that you've actually overlaid the fact that each zone requires a different culture. And I, I know I've lived this, right? For, for the core systems of record, the, you know, the engineering culture is very different than yep. for the systems that need to be A-B testing and moving very quickly, right? You want yep. people who love stability and performance and high availability right. versus people who crave uncertainty right. and solving all sorts of new technical problems in the incubation zone. So can you actually just, just take us through the way that you, what you've learned in terms of the different cultures for each zone? Because I think that can help frame some of this going from collaboration culture, process culture, and command culture. But, but take us through some of that. Yeah, the performance zone clearly is really a competitive it's really a competitive culture. You want leaders who know how to, to, to develop a plan, work the plan, and get the results. And you want to do that, hopefully, in a way that's not Machiavellian, but you want to be able to t- let everybody know we have goals to meet, meet, we have targets that we want to meet, and the performance of this organization from an earnings capability is dependent upon us doing that. The productivity zone really turns out to be, a lot of people talking about it sort of as a process culture. It's really a collaboration culture. Because in order for for all those functions to enhance the performance of the businesses, they have to be able to work in in concert with them. And so what happens down here, though, is we need to be able to have people in the productivity zone who have the ability to articulate the value and the kind of collaborative relationships IT brings to anybody else in the organization or any external stakeholders. The other thing we're doing, I'll give you an example. I'm working with a client right now, and we're building out a very robust healthcare 
and Benefits platform, where we're going to offer a whole number of products and services from health savings accounts to savings accounts to something called a PTO exchange where you can monetize your, your PTO to a variety of other things around choosing healthcare programs and actually choosing healthcare procedures. To do that, we had to assemble an ecosystem of external business partners as well as internal business partners. So at the moment, there are six in the ecosystem, two internal and four external. And IT now needs to figure out how to operate this ecosystem with both internal and external partners so everybody's aligned to the outcomes that everybody wants. So, And that's not typically a skill that an engineer has. And that's not a criticism of engineering. That's not what they were expected to do. So we have to keep the engineering skills, but we have to, we have to also layer, layer on, on top of that the sort of collaboration. People in IT now have to influence people on why it's beneficial for them to adopt and utilize the new technologies they're providing. And the incubation zone is really like, the way we refer to it, it's like a venture culture. You have to move very quickly. The whole cadence, the decision-making cadence, the, you know, trying things. This is not six months and eight months. It's two weeks and a week and, and three weeks. And let's learn something. If it doesn't work, we'll refine it and go back with a second version of it or whatever. So it's a very different mindset about how one is successful there. So, you know, we can talk about an innovation culture, but it's really the ability to say we're okay with doing things quickly, making mistakes, learning. So I would really call it, and, and, and I haven't really done much more than talk about this, and, and this is one of the first places I've shared with, but I would call the incubation zone a learning culture. The key to me in the most successful incubation innovation groups I've worked with is they are passionate about learning faster than the competition. And then the last one, the culture and the transformation zone really is a command culture. This is something where the CEO has to lead the initiative. It has enterprise-wide impact. It requires taking resources from existing functions and businesses to fund and enable the growth of the new initiative. And by the way, you can only do one of these at a time, and lots of companies make the mistake of trying to do more than one. But the one thing you don't want to do, Mick, is start it and stop it. So before you decide you want to do it, one, be very clear about what the outcome is. And if you're if you're measuring it on revenues, it's got to be 10% or greater of the overall revenue in terms of what it contributes. And number two, everybody, everybody in the organization in one way or another, their discretionary compensation is based on the success of that one initiative. If you do that, you get success. If you don't, it slides away and that's very, very detrimental. Yeah, and I think, again, the clarity here and the way I've seen it applied successfully and, and had the direct experience of doing so is this incubation zone where you do have this venture culture, you take on a bunch of risk, try new initiatives, you need the creativity there, and you can do many things. But what's so different about the zone management model than what I see applied typically is that companies actually try to do many things in the transformation zone. They're trying to place many bets at the same time. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think what you've demonstrated is that just at these scales, it just doesn't work, right? You need to pick right. one of those. And I love the fact, by the way, that the framework is so prescriptive. You need to pick one that's your bet of becoming 10% of the company's top line, yep. of the company's revenue, right? That's yep. extremely clear for how something can move from incubation to transformation and then actually transform the business by becoming part of the, the performance zone. So I think this, this, this flow to the zones is, is absolutely critical. And you just reminded me of something interesting. 
right? Where just going way back in history to the to the <laughs> triangle in the the Toyota production system triangle, there were three parts of that triangle. There's the philosophical underpinnings. There's the managerial culture. And there's the technical tools to implement that. And as you were saying, I realized so often in agile and lean and DevOps transformations of IT, everyone thinks it's one thing. But what zone management makes so clear, it's not. You've got a different one of these. You actually need to have a different managerial culture and leadership in the zones. Because if you take someone who's done amazing work in the productivity zones and, and reduce costs and improve processes and have that collaboration with your supply chain or your partners that's probably not the right person to lead the incubation zone. And as you said, the only, this, I think this is a really interesting aspect of the zone management, the only person who can read the transformation zone is actually the CEO. Yeah, you just, you need that kind of, and leadership is the key word. And, and I think that in each zone, as I said, has its own charter, its own operating processes, its own culture, but it has its own leadership dynamic to it as well. And I think that's an, you're absolutely right. You could take the very best incubation process you could make and put the wrong leader in charge of it and it won't function. Yeah, exactly. And you just clarified something for me that I've been struggling with for the past three or four weeks where I've spoken to a number of CIOs who are going through cloud transformations. And it's just been really interesting to see how those are being tracked and budgeted because I think what's happened is that the cloud transformations have actually come from a cost center mentality in the productivity zone. So the entire way of measuring and the business case for moving to cloud is actually lower, improve our economic model for our workloads and our storage, because there's no point competing with that. Amazon, make sure it's secure and so on. And that's being used as the move to cloud. And what's so interesting is that the, the technologist, the chief transformation officer, of course, wants to move to cloud because everyone thinks you can innovate and move faster and provide a better customer experience in right. cloud. But for the organizations that I've seen use productivity zone leadership and metrics to move to cloud, they end up, when they, when they get there, nothing moves any faster. Right. Because all they've done is change the infrastructure, but none of the processes are more around innovation, none of the metrics around innovation, and none none of the leadership is. Whereas I've seen other organizations do it differently, where they start with cloud in their incubation zone, right? I would actually say that it's impossible for a modern company to innovate in the incubation zone without being cloud native, right? You, you just simply, you're, yeah, your flow times are too slow. Your iteration loops, your learning loops are, are just way too slow. So companies that have actually done it differently and they, and they started their cloud initiatives in the incubation zone, which is probably where they should start. Yeah. But that's yeah. another story. They're actually being successful because they've done it the right ways. They've done cloud for the purpose of fast learning and fast time to value for the customer. Right. So yeah, again, I think it's just, when you think of it through the lenses of the zones, it just seems so clear. If you want to move to cloud to innovate and to drive business results and to, to create a revenue stream that, that'll, or a new platform, re-platform as Microsoft did around a cloud and SaaS revenue stream, you start in the incubation zone and you move them to the, into the transformation zone. Yeah. Rather than working for what, and I, it is actually, I think, uh, quite disconcerting how many companies are doing the exact opposite thing. Yep. Well, let me give you an example. When I did some work at Splunk, I was working with, he was the uh, former CIO at Uber. He moved over and he headed up business applications at Splunk. And when he came in, he inherited a group of 140 developers. Never mind the fact that 100 of them were Accenture contractors. That's a whole other discussion. But the way, to your point, the way they were, the development teams were organized, Mick, were based upon software stacks. 
So yeah. there was there was a Salesforce development team, there was a MuleSoft development team, there was a Word, etc. And that's all they did. That's all they did. Okay, they worked on those anything any software that was relevant to those tags. They worked on it, and that's what they did. And they had no outreach to any of the product people, the sales and revenue people, the marketing people, etc. So we disbanded that structure and created six cross-functional teams, both from a development point of view and from a business understanding point of view, and went out and faced them off against the cloud business, the product people, the revenue people, etc. And to your point, to show the impact of that, the first time we sat down with the chief revenue officer and the CMO, because they had the two bundled in one group at Splunk, we didn't come in with a list of projects which typically IT does, everybody fights over which ones we're going to do and where are they and who's ahead and what's on budget, et cetera. We went in and asked a fundamental question. What currently is making it harder for you and your team to achieve the outcomes that you're accountable for in this year's plan? Totally open-ended question. Within 10 minutes, what we found out was that if you were in the sales team at Splunk, you had to open up five separate applications five separate software stacks who didn't talk to each other because mm-hmm. they were independent, okay, to get a complete view of what a customer was doing in terms of all the products and services they were using. So as a result of that, we then created something called One Click, One View, and over six months collapsed five down to one. Yeah. But to your point, if we keep operating in the old siloed manner, whether it's around software stacks or other kinds of functional silos, we won't have those conversations. And therefore, the value that, that, I mean, and not only that, we turned what was really sort of an adversarial relationship between IT and the sales and marketing people into an advocacy relationship. So it had two benefits. It not only helped them do their job better, but now we had people when we said, we need more resources to do this, they were advocating for it rather than advocating against it. Excellent. Exactly. And I think it's interesting, right? Because even in a fairly modern company like Splunk, those silos form out of past activities, largely yep. in the productivity zone, but, but yep. often in the performance zone, right? And I think this has, been, this has been one of the sticking points for so many organizations, which is they do get locked into constraints of existing system of records or software stacks, right? Be it MuleSoft, be it building on force.com or like the examples that you gave. And I think the really important thing and somewhat related to this cloud example is that the incubation zone and the transformation zone actually give you an opportunity to transform the software stack to be what's needed for that zone. And that's that's why I think the analogy to the Toyota production system is, is so key. It's both managerial culture and technical tools. You need a different set of technical tools for the different zones, right? And those technical Absolutely. Tools, yeah. Yep. So let's talk now a little bit about the metrics because in the priorities and the process metrics, performance zone, investor metrics are critical, right? Yep. To, to public yep. companies. But trying to apply those to the, the transformation zone where your growth metrics are so important, right? Where yep. you need to see that this thing is, is growing and where you're less about cost and profit than about growth. And of course, you've already said the, the incubation zone. Those are venture metrics. Right. right. Those are a completely different set of metrics. So tell us a little bit maybe about, especially for those interested in understanding what to track in, in the transformation zone. The performance zone metrics, I think, are fairly well, well understood by your yep. organization. Yep. Right? I, I do think a really important thing for our listeners to consider is how to track the performance of metrics differently from the productivity of metrics, because often they seem the same. But why don't you just start us off with how you think about the, the transformation zone metrics and the incubation zone metrics, because I think that's where some serious changes in thinking and, and operating models needs, needs to happen. 
Okay. And this is good because the incubation zone is where you start to incubate ideas and new business opportunities. And at one point in time, you find one that you think can scale to 10% or greater of your overall revenues, and then you move it into the transformation zone. So the two are very well connected. In the incubation zone, the key is, is to look at it as if it was a venture business and that you set this up separately. And what you do is the key there is you don't want to rely on not only the metrics from the performance zone, but the resources from the performance zone in the early stages. Because if we start competing for those resources, it's too easy for the performance zone people to say, no, I have to keep my resource here because I have to make my number this quarter. Okay? So you have to set it up separately. You fund it like a VC thing. You have those metrics where you have these different benchmarks along the way where you're saying, this is what you said you get to by here. Are we there? Yes. We'll keep going. If not, no, we won't. Or we'll change course or whatever. But the other part of it is, is, is you have to be comfortable with two things. One, working with a portfolio of opportunities. A lot of companies get, I know when we went back and, and set up the original Innovation Lab at FedEx, they had two mandates. One is to, to improve the performance of the existing business, and one was to come up with, you know, everybody calls them moonshots, big new ideas. Well, that's great, and that's a nice balance, but they lost very quickly the focus on the former, and everything was about this one moonshot. Mm-hmm. And they spent two and a half years doing it, and they finally got something. But in the meantime, a lot of incremental, what I'll call small innovation, never occurred to enhance the performance of the operating businesses because yeah. they, couldn't, they couldn't balance a portfolio of initiatives. Yeah, and I just want to stop you there for a second because yeah. I think I want to be really clear. This this is the bimodal IT trap I've seen companies fall into. Yeah. That's not what zone management is about. Zone right. management is about understanding the portfolio and allocating resources. So please continue. Right. No, and and so part of that is we look at that. And then when you when we find a candidate to scale, if we think we've got something that, that really can do it, then we move it into the transformation zone. And what we're saying there is if we're doing this, let's say you and I have our company and, we're, and we've made this decision for 2021. That is the number one priority for this organization, period, over the performance of all the businesses in the, in the performance zone, all the activities in the productivity zone, all the other incubation ideas in the incubation zone, okay? This is the number one, because as I said before, we cannot start it and not have it achieve its goal. That is really, really detrimental to any organization. So part of that is just saying we got to do it. Now, the metrics are we want this hyper growth kind of a, of a situation. And we're looking at things like, you know, if it's new, what are our win-loss ratios? What, are, what kind of adoption are we getting from early adopters and stuff like that? Some of this we've worked out in the incubation zone because we didn't start this from scratch. We've already yeah. had a fair amount of traction in the incubation zone, but now we're going to see if this thing can really scale. And that's where it's important to understand that we're not worried about EBITDA, <laughs> okay? That's not what we're worried about. We're worried about growing this business, getting new revenue, getting new customers, opening up new markets, whatever the, the expanse of this opportunity provides. And so that's a very important thing. And therefore, it has to be something that the CEO and the board even, okay, is responsible for because you're going to have to arbitrate conflicting resource requirements. Because I'll give you the one example we've talked about before. 
in the 14 years that Steve Ballmer was the CEO of Microsoft, they never launched. I mean, they'll say that Xbox was a major new business, but by comparison, they never launched a single major new business. And the reason was when they went through the annual planning and resource allocation and budgeting process, by the time they were, they bundled everything together. So they didn't think about new ideas first and fund those and then go to their current businesses. 90 to 95% of the resources of the budget went to Windows or Office. Okay. And as a result, in the 14 years that Bomber was the CEO of Microsoft, the stock never traded over $40 a share. When Satya came in and rebooted the company from on-premise on desktop to cloud-first, mobile-first, and then took each one of those businesses, the back office ERP system, the, the office business, and then he was going to do it with Windows. They've decided now to sort of not keep Windows together. They're anticipating it across the organization. He rebooted them. Stock is trading at $240 a share. Now, I'm not sitting here telling your listeners that, you know, deploys self-management and your stock's going to go up 10, you know, eight, whatever it is, fold. But the fact of the matter is what he understood from a metrics point of view was when he moved that office cloud Azure business from performance to transformation and set up a 20 bit, it was doing $5 billion in revenue and set up a $20 billion revenue target for three years. It was the number one responsibility for the whole company and they beat their goal by nine months. Okay, so that's where the transformation zone is so powerful. The last one, which, which you know, and we've talked a lot about, everybody wants to say, well, the productivity zone, you know, we're going to save a little money. No, there is enormous opportunity in the productivity zone to recover what we call trap value. And what that says is we're spending money, time, and resources on functions and activities for which we're getting little or no value. Well, let's either consolidate them, eliminate them, redesign them, move them from on-premise to the cloud, whatever it is, okay? So in each case, to your point, there is a specific set of metrics that align with the outcomes you want from each zone, and you have to keep them separate. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's fascinating. Newer tech companies, there's almost no software they write that runs in the productivity zone, right? It, it's all, they're yep. just leveraging SaaS for that. And right. we, we, right. we've seen those stories for larger companies as well, because it's just such a quick way of, of unlocking that trapped value and of actually understanding your core versus context. There's, there are exceptions, but there's, there's little that you can, di- tell me if this is true, very little these days you can differentiate around in the, in the productivity zone as, as the offer becomes yeah. so much right. Yeah. So. But, but let, me, let me flip it around and ask you a question. So when I look at the flow framework, the thing that I find so, so compelling about it is, is it enables not only IT shops, but organizations to implement a lot of the frameworks and, and things that we've been talking about. Can you take the flow framework and apply it to systems of record, I'll call it maintenance for the moment, or just operations, and still get the kind of improvements that you get when you're applying it to what I'll call digital native development initiatives? Maybe there's a better, you might describe it a different way. So the answer is yes. And it was, it was designed that way, but it's interesting to me how often it's not interpreted that way because, and this is why I actually put the, the zone management diagram in project to project <laughs> to get people thinking this way is that in your organization, whether you zone management or something else, you might be using horizon management. You might be, you might be doing something completely different, right? right. But no matter what, there's, there's some fundamental principles here. And I'm a fan of the zone management ones because I've seen them work for myself and and for other companies, some, like some, some of the ones that you've described. But the key thing is when you're setting up, because it's like you said, it's a portfolio, 
right? Everyone's got a large software portfolio. The companies that you and I work with have a very large legacy software portfolios. They have a ton of trapped value and everyone's frustrated that innovation and incubation and transformation are going too slowly. Right. So the thing I want to be clear from the start is that you've got your product value streams. This is where you're investing and you need to understand which zone they fall into. And so to answer your, and then, then only then, once you've done that, can you set the targets in terms of the business metrics and the flow metrics for those? Right. So people are often surprised when I say, so, you know, I talk about flow time and how software innovators have flow ties and the, the end-to-end time to value from a business idea or a feature request to that being in the customer's hand and running software. Right. And, and we see flow times of just measured in days or a week or two for software innovators. Right. And then you see months in larger enterprise businesses that, that have had some of these issues that we're, we're touching on. However, the, the key thing is, in it, let's say you've got some ERP software in your productivity zone, it's okay for some of that to actually have six-month flow times, right? You want to de-risk that software. You want to make sure it's, it's high quality, it's reliable. You don't necessarily need to innovate there. And so okay. the key thing is understanding which flow metrics to apply where. And of course, the, you, know, you want to make sure that anything that with risk or governance or security in your productivity zone, that you've got a fairly fast flow on for those types of flow items. Yep. But for big new features, you don't need to optimize. And of course, the, on the flip side, I see CIOs approaching this thing, no, we, we need cloud and containers for everything. Well, you don't. Chances are, if you're actually investing in your own productivity zone systems, writing them from scratch, rather than buying one off the shelf, you're doing exactly the wrong things, right? You're, you're, you're trying to rebuild one of the popular SaaS vendors offerings and it, it just doesn't make sense. You need to go, you, where you need to focus is, is one of the other three zones. So the thing that I've noticed, so first of all, yes, and, and this is sometimes counterintuitive, in the productivity zone, the flow metrics work and they're just as important, but you're setting completely different targets for them. And right. you're looking for a completely different flow distribution. Whereas again, in the incubation zone, you need flow time that's measured in days so that you can do your A-B testing, your fast learning, and you have a fast feedback loop. And you need to make sure that your feed, especially the feature delivery, the feature distribution is completely optimized for fast learning. That's the only way you'll identify the market opportunity that you can bring into the transformation zone. And I think it's just like, I think you've got this great set of the business value creation metrics that some of which we've talked about, right? Where the market capture metrics are critical to yeah. do what you described Microsoft doing, right? Those are fundamental to the performance zone. If you're measuring the performance zone with EBITDA or your board's not bought in to higher costs in the transformation zone, you're dead before you start, right? Exactly. Yeah. Similarly, if you don't have a platform and value streams that actually support fast response to markets, measurement of customer activity, customer net promoter scores, customer engagement, you don't have a hope at going after, after hyper growth because right. your competition does. They have those in place, chances yep. are, or some startup does. So I think it's kind of simple the way we talk about this way, but it's just understanding your metrics, your culture, and your business outcomes for each zone is, is kind of the, the recipes for success. Yeah, and and it's just I mean, just think about the way we've been discussing it. We've changed the narrative of how people talk about business value driven by technology and IT, as opposed to the traditional thing. Well, just make sure the damn thing doesn't break and yeah. it's compliant. Okay, just keep everything stable down there. You do some of that, but that's not going to enable the company to compete against something like Amazon. Yeah, I mean, there's just no chance for that. And so, but the other the other thing I think is interesting and. I'm, I'm sure you get feedback from your listeners to our podcast, but as these executives look at this, and, and you know, 
when Gene wrote both the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project, he talked about all the things that constrain the ability to use things like the flow framework, among other things, and to be able to do things like we talked about in a different cadence in the incubation zone, et cetera. But I think what's still challenging as I look at it is, is that people still haven't really embraced, I said this early on when we started the podcast, they really haven't embraced IT or technology. I know a lot of people don't like to use IT. I only use it because it's still in the vocabulary and we got to get it out of the vocabulary, but they haven't embraced it as a profit engine. Yeah. And I think we need to do what we can from hopefully the zone management framework, the work that you're doing, the work that Gene doing, other people in the community. We have to begin to show and demonstrate use cases that make a very compelling case that technology is a primary source of profit generation. Okay. We can argue about how we want to keep score. Maybe we don't need a separate P&L. Maybe we do. We'll figure that out. But as long as we have people, and we still do, unfortunately, in a lot of major organizations who are not willing to accept that yet, that point that technology slash IT is a profit engine. And so anything that I think, you know, I mean, I'm always fat. And what, I, the one reason I love doing these kinds of podcasts and other engagements is to listen to the feedback. So if there are people listening to this podcast who are exploring this, I'm trying to put together two working groups of CIOs, one in Silicon Valley and one in LA, to start this discussion. And what is it going to take to get the corporation to fully embrace IT as a profit engine? And have you run into this at all in any of the work you're doing? Yeah, I mean, constantly, because I think the people with whom this these approaches resonate with are the people trying to get IT out of the cost center trap. And that's pretty much the title of this amazing blog post by Mary Poppendick from, from many years ago. So I think the amount of technologists who've realized the limitation of the operating model is high. People get that, right? right. Uh, they realize, and the reason I think it came out, some of the, these frustrations and came out of the Agile and DevOps community is that it's so counter to the ways of working around Agile and DevOps, where it is about innovation, customer centricity, but where you're hitting these brick walls where the Agile teams are maybe oriented that way, but the business is not because the, the exactly. area of the business you work in is the productivity zone area. Right. So I think, yes, I think that the key thing for us as a journey, as a community, that the key thing that, that Gene has been paving the path for us with, with his books is actually how to break out of that. Because until the organization breaks out of that, we're not going to get past the principles of Agile and DevOps being limited to this technology and Agile team layer. Whereas, of course, we realize that tech giants and unicorns have applied them to their entire operating model. Right? Exactly. So, exactly. But they haven't applied them ad hoc. And I think that's the key thing. And right. it's not that like, they haven't applied them without the struggles of legacy, as, as we've right. seen. That's yeah. been one of the amazing things with Microsoft is how they've navigated beyond their yeah. own legacy systems and, and replatformed and legacy business models as well. So I think the answer is yes. But I want to ask you, because this is, this is just an interesting thing. So I think when I'm, in terms of what I'm seeing, to answer your question, I'm seeing some of the organizations whose leaders get it, either trying to break out, basically say, okay, no, we now have accepted as a board that software's core revenues or digital strategies core and so on. And they start using, basically bringing it into the performance zone. And then I've told you this alternative thing that I see sometimes, where it's more from the incubation transformation side. 
that the organization is learning the value of software. So what do you recommend or is it just both? Like to, to break, we need to break software delivery out of the innovation, out of the productivity zone where it got stuck. You yeah. need to become a profit engine. I think that's what you've said yeah. in the story. Yeah. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. And until that, until that operating model is in place, you're stuck and you're declining and, and your IT, the irony of course, is that your IT costs are ballooning. Right. By the way, you're, when you manage IT to costs, the costs just grow. When you manage a profit engine, somehow right. the you know, right. Right. Cost value grows. Absolutely. Yeah. Very so, well put. Very well put. So how do you recommend that for someone listening, a transformation officer, someone, a leader who, who gets this, do they take a bullish step into the performance zone? Do they set up both? How do you... I'm not sure I would necessarily say where we start from. So I guess the way I would do it, and I've written a little bit about it. I wrote a blog a while back that said, in the digital world, digital transformation is actually an oxymoron. It isn't about digital transformation. It's about business transformation, which yeah. digital technology enables and facilitates. And I think the key for me is, and where I've had some early traction with companies at the sort of C-suite board level, is to say, let's look at the fundamental way the company creates value today. Let's just look at that. How do we do that? And let's talk about it. And what's interesting is, you would think there would be a fairly uniform agreement on it. They're all over the place. Okay? Part of it is, some of them are still stuck back in zone one versus zone, you know, so we can get it. But not, there is not unanimity. Okay, then the second question we ask is, how vulnerable is the company and the way we create value to disruption? They don't ask that question. They never ask that. When private equity firms do due do, do diligence, they never ask that question. Okay? Then the third question to your point is, how effective can we be at using new digital technology to drive new growth and competitive advantage? And then the most important, not most important, but one we've also talked about is, is our culture and our company able to embrace a new way of doing business? So by starting there and having that dialogue, hopefully, and it doesn't always, it's like making soup. It's a little messy until we get it done. Until they agree on that and answer those questions and have some alignment and commitment and unanimity around the pursuit of the answers to those questions, we're still operating in a very fragmented fashion. And that's exactly when Satya Nadella took over, the first thing he did was he sent an email to every single Microsoft employee around the world and said, from this day forward, Microsoft is a cloud-first, global-first company, period. Mm -hmm. Period. So we're not going to have any discussions about that anymore, okay? That's where we're going. If that's not the way you want to go, okay, that's fine. But that's where we're going. So many other companies, they haven't gotten there yet. And to your point, until we can get them there, then yes, they may have some, some incremental successes in one or more of the zones, but they won't maximize the full benefit of zone management because it won't be aligned against really sort of aspirational and exponential outcomes. Yeah, and then I guess this does go back to your point that setting this structure up actually requires the the CEO to oversee the transformation yep. zone. Right? Yep. And so I think you're saying that that is not a nice to have. That's that's required to Absolutely. catalyze any of this. Because that function alone, now he he needs to bring along his C-suite and he needs to bring along and his or board she. or her board. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Either one. They need to be able to do that okay, in order to make it work, because there are going to be conflicting priorities. The other advantage, and I've seen this now with another company I worked with, coming into the, to the 2020 
planning process. You're not going to believe what I'm about to say, but it's true. This senior leadership team approved 122 projects for 2020, not one of which had a capacity capacity demand management planning, capacity planning, or budget allocation. And not one. Okay. So what we were able to do, and then we realized very quickly, we don't have the capacity to do even half of those. So what we did was we went back to the people on the leadership team and said, pick the three most important projects you have for this year. And let's put them in one of the different zones. And then what you can do, the, see, the other advantage of zone management, Mick, is that once you think about it as a portfolio and you do that, then you can look at where the resources are tentatively planned to be allocated yeah. and budget and can say, does that align with our, with our business growth goals? Yeah. Let's say that you and I have our company and we want, to, we want to triple the size of the company next year, but 80% of our resources and budget are down in the productivity zone. That ain't going to work. Okay, so now we got to read, we got to say, time out. Now we got to go back and figure that out because we need more in performance and more in incubation. And oh, by the way, let's find one in transformation because that's going to help us get where we want to go. So that's, I think, and, and that's where the struggle exists. And, and in fairness, it's easy for you and I, you know, those of us on the outside to start throwing rocks in the pond and making waves and everything. This is a challenge because most of the business leaders in well-established companies today are not digital natives. This is not baked into their DNA. They are learning this and they're skeptical in some cases, rightfully so, okay? But this does not come to them easily. So there's no management frameworks, the frameworks you have, the things that Gene's talking about and other people in the community are essential to this because we have to make it possible for them to say, oh, I get it, oh, I see, okay, yeah. This is how we make value today, uh, create value today. But by the way, two-thirds of the way we create value today is under existential threat. Right. We just can't keep going on and still be able to create that value. So, But we need a set of, of ways for that dialogue to, to happen and for those mindset changes and sort of prioritization changes, if you will, in terms of how the, the business will grow to occur. And that's why I think some of these frameworks can really be helpful. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this function is also becoming more clear, right? Because when you and I hear 120 projects with, you know, basically no set, and there's not a capacity measure, there's not a productivity measure, there's not a value measure of right. those projects, right? They're just, they're just these undertakings. We know something's profoundly wrong. And I think, again, I think the key thing is that if you can just, it's, it is, I think it's also getting pretty well understood how to get through this as well, right? Which is why, again, I think zone management is so key. It demystifies and simplifies how to break through that, right? Yeah. My goal with, with the flow framework was just to make this, the dynamics that underlie your incubation, transformation, and performance zone, your large, large software investments, visible to today's leadership, to leadership who's not grown up building software or managing software delivery. So I, I think the key things are there. But again, if you're looking at, again, transforming the whole organization or you don't have your portfolio specified, the alloc- it's just it's like you said at the start, Peter, the, it's a corollary to what you said at the start. The allocation of resources of your top talent, of your managers, will just be completely scattershot and wrong. Yep. And again, yep. it's blamed on culture. It's actually, I think, a misallocation of talent to absolutely to wrong zones. Happens. I've seen it happen, by the way, with engineers. When you allocate an engineer to a performance or productivity zone who's someone who really wants to innovate and get fast customer feedback, they're miserable. Yep. 
because they they thrive on learning and on uncertainty on on solving unsolved technical challenges. Right. And the same goes for leaders. The same goes for for middle management as well. So. I think you've laid out some of the key things that can unblock organizations from this. Again, I, I do encourage everyone to to understand at a at a deeper level this zone management model because I think some of the key secrets to success and to simplifying all this and to setting yourself up for your next fiscal year, as you said, a lot of people are planning that right now, are actually underlined there. And it's completely aligned to everything that's that's been my goal in terms of actually having the right metrics for each of the zones and each value stream you have in every zone. So with that, Peter, I think we're nearly at time, but any any other, there's a ton of wise words in there. So, <laughs> so I think uh, I'll have to listen to this podcast once again and then make sure that I'm helping other leaders understand your perspective. But anything else you want to add for... No, I just, I want, I, again, I want to thank you for the opportunity of sharing the framework and the ideas and the discussion we've had, because I think, as I said, it's so important. And if we can t- begin to get some people in the community to see this as an opportunity for them to step out in their own organizations and put it to work with or without our help. Either way, I think it would be great because once we get some very compelling use cases, and, and there's some early ones, you know, Salesforce and Microsoft and some others like that, F5 Networks and Equinix and Gainsight Software, and, and a number of them have started to put this to, to work. But when we have those, to your point, then it's easier for people to say, oh, I get it. It's actually doable. It's not just a theoretical construct. It's a very practical set of tools that enables me to change outcomes and change perceptions. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing is it seems like yet another framework, but actually decomplexifies what you're doing as, again, has been my goal with these product value streams and flow metrics. All right, Peter, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And where can people find you to learn more? Uh, They can find me on either LinkedIn or they can email me at pdmore at W-O-E-L-L-C.com. They can also go to my web, website at www.woellc.com as well. I write a monthly blog, and they're, and they're all in there, so you can see some of the elements that we talked about. There's more detail. There's a lot of early use cases, too, which provide some good examples for people. Excellent. Thank you so much, Peter, and thanks, everyone, for listening. A huge thank you to Peter for joining me on this episode. For more, follow me in my journey on LinkedIn, Twitter, or using the hashtags MCPlus1 or Project to Product. You can reach out to Peter via his website, woellc.com, or on LinkedIn. I have a new episode every two weeks, so hit subscribe to join us again. You can also search for Project to Product to get the book. And remember that all author proceeds go to supporting women and minorities in technology. Thanks, stay safe, and until next time. <laughs>